0: Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my friend and author, Heidi Tucker. Welcome to the podcast, Heidi.
1: Thank you. So glad to be here.
0: Will you just introduce yourself to our listeners?
1: Yes. I am a mom of four adult kids who are married, and I have nine grandchildren. Um, I'll have 10 in September.
0: Congratulations. Yeah,
1: that's awesome. Awesome. And um, love them and then give them back during the tantrums. It's the best thing ever. Um, I live in Arizona most of the time. I'm up in Utah quite a bit with speaking and book events and love to be here because of the weather, number one. And also with my, most of my kids are here. Three of the four live here. So I get to see them.
0: That's great. Yeah. Um, Heidi is an author and we'll be talking about a book that I've read some of the chapters called Finding Hope in the Journey. Um, really good book about kind of when things go sideways or Heidi will describe this better than I will, what we do and sort of how we grow within the struggle. She has a phrase that I wrote down before we went live, gifts within the struggle. So that book came out about five years ago, Finding Hope in the Journey, recognizing his message in another book. Um, Sevi's song, Service song, Service song mm-hmm. that is just coming out.
1: That's out now, That's out. yeah. It's and been out working, for a
0: year. And you're working on a third book, working on a third It doesn't have a title. So, Heidi is an LDS author, her books are at Desert Book. She speaks at hundreds of church events about the subject we're going to talk about. So, with that introduction, what would you call the subject we're going to talk about? Just give us an umbrella framework if you've got one yeah, or just, I,
1: I think that we, I think this that the, if, if I could narrow it down to one word, it would be hope, hope for everyone, regardless of what your struggle is, where you are on the pathway in the gospel or whether you're out of the gospel, there is hope for all of us and it's different and it looks different for each one of us.
0: Tell us your story of why, how your life was going and what kind of a curveball that happened and caused you to then write this first book?
1: um, I'm a business major from ASU. There is no list or bucket (laughs) list that says I want to be an author someday. I was at a really difficult time in my life. I had just, uh, I just turned 50. I was just finishing four years of early morning seminary, which means the alarm goes off at 4.30 every morning. (laughs)
0: Wow. Did yeah. you teach in your home or did you go over to the church? I taught
1: over at the church. Yes. So four years of that makes you tired to the bones because I had teenagers at home. So I didn't go to bed until late with them.
0: Because you wanted to be up with them. I need
1: to be up with them.
0: When did you prepare your lessons?
1: Right after the kids left in the okay. morning. Okay. Last one's out the door and I sit down and I'm trying to nail it for the next day.
0: Wow. Yeah. It was Four years.
1: Four years of that. It was, um, it was incredible. Best calling of my life. It it rewired me, really. And um, that was incredible, but I was really tired, really, really tired after four years of that. Let's see, my last child was just leaving the nest. She was going to Utah, to UVU to go to college, and I knew from the previous three that she wasn't coming back. They go to college and then they don't come back to Arizona. So I know I'm going to be an empty nester, and my son, who had just left recently from, for a mission in Novosibirsk, Russia, um, came home early. And so I was physically, I was emotionally, and I was spiritually really beat up. That's where I was. and That's really so
0: honest. Thanks for being so honest.
1: Yeah, that was a hard, a hard time. I was at a low time. And I got on a plane to go visit family at Thanksgiving here in Utah. And somewhere between Phoenix and Salt Lake I had a dream and in that dream I saw my hands holding a book and I knew it was my book and I thumbed through the pages and I knew it was about hope within struggles and trials and I flipped through through the headings to see the chapters and it was all familiar to me because it was my words and then the plane landed and I woke up from that dream And I had two thoughts, and the first thought was, that was so real. I mean, it was more than a dream, and I knew that. But I didn't want to admit that. And the second thought that chased it was, there's no way. There's no way I would ever write a book. Why would I want to do that? Why does what I have to say matter? Why would anyone be interested in anything I have to say? And so I didn't tell anybody about that dream, not my husband, not my kids, because if I did, that made it real and I didn't want it to be real. But um, Heavenly Father was really patient with me and he continued to sort of beat me over the head, harder on some days and gently on other days. And I knew over the course of the next three or four months that that's what I was being called to do. And so eventually I found the courage deep down in my pinky toes to sit down and write that first sentence. And I thought, what am I going to write about? But as soon as I made the decision to sit and write that first sentence, it came pouring out of me and I didn't stop writing for three months and wrote the whole thing
0: in three months. Yes. Wow. Every day, every day.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes in the middle of the night, sometimes first thing in the morning and, uh, it was, it was exhilarating and it was exhausting all in the same moment.
0: Tell us about the book.
1: The book um, talks about positioning your heart to really recognize messages from Heavenly Father that are very specific for you and that those are different for each one of us. And, and it's about finding those messages within the struggle because that's when we need them most because we feel abandoned We feel alone. Sometimes we say to ourselves or to Heavenly Father, I feel like a broken record because I keep asking for relief or I keep asking you to move this mountain and I'm getting nothing. And so you just feel like you're praying the same thing over and over again. And it's about, the book is about different ways that we can receive those answers. It's not the same for each of us and it can be different on different days. He is trying to get our attention. And sometimes it's very subtle. I don't believe in general that he moves the mountain for us, but he sure helps us climb it. And if we recognize those little glimmers of hope, that can make all the difference just to know that he knows.
0: Talk to mothers of missionaries that come home and dads and family members. Uh You're in this space. You've prepared this young man, a wonderful young man, for 19 years to go on a mission. We're having a farewell at our home this week. Of our youngest son is going on a mission, and and so he's like your son, been prepared his whole life. But your son goes to MDC and comes home. Something I assume you've never thought of, or had a Relief Society lesson on how you never. manage that, or a seminary lesson you taught about. So just help our listeners that um, are, are with people that, are, that have come home early. Yeah. Give them some thoughts and advice. And
1: Yeah. That was, that was hard. I'm, I'm the kind of mom that um, we do a lot of scuba diving, and so I've traveled all over the world. And, and when I see missionaries in other countries or in other states in the United States, anywhere that I'm traveling, I always stop them. Where are you from? We, we have a conversation. Tell me that g- give me the email or the phone number for your mom, right? And I'm gonna call her, I'm gonna email, her. I take a picture. I always follow up with a letter to the parents and let them know that their their kid is doing well. So I just had this dream, right? My son's mission became part of my dream as a missionary mom. That's what I wanted to do. And you so have I one was one son and three I daughters. I have one son and three daughters. And the
0: daughters didn't serve missions. No, they didn't. Okay.
1: And so it was just, um, it, it was such a dream come true when he left, and I was proud of him. I was proud of him for what he was sacrificing and the commitment that he had made to do that. So when he came home, for me, it was kind of like, wait a minute, I, I checked that box. This isn't, how is, how is this not happening I, uh, you know, we did family home evening. We did scripture study. How is this not you happening? taught
0: early morning seminary. Yeah, I taught I said early before morning seminary. Left. Right, right. Or, yeah.
1: And so it just threw me. It threw me for a loop. And my prayers were crying, pleading prayers. And they were righteous desires. You know, what can be more righteous than the desire that your child serve a mission? And I could see very quickly that 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 prayer was not going to be answered the way I wanted it to be answered. And that was so hurtful. And so from that, I could feel, and fortunately I recognized, I could feel my faith slipping in general, right? Like, where are you, Heavenly Father? You know, Are you paying attention to the Tucker family right now? Do you know my son? Do you know me? Are you hearing me? So I'm asking all those questions, and I can feel... Satan working on me saying, maybe nothing is true. Right. So it, it, it's a slippery, it became a slippery slope for me. So and so I'm just, I'm just clutching to my belief and to my scriptures and I'm going out and I'm walking and I'm, I, I got to the point where I wasn't asking anymore. I was just having some gratitude prayers, you know, thank you for my pillow I'm thankful that I have hot water in a shower every morning. I'm thankful that I have a blanket at night. I'm thankful for the green trees. And um, that helped me sort of stay. That did something for me to have gratitude prayers. But eventually, um, and I just wanted Heavenly Father to fix him, right? And I think... um, I think every parent feels that way, please fix my child so that everything will be okay in this righteous desire of mine and of his to serve a mission. And when that, when that doesn't happen, when it didn't happen for me, I look back now and um, I wish I had been more in tune with him and his struggle. It was kind of like it was my struggle on this side of the house and it was his struggle on the other side of the house and we're both rolling around in the mud for very different reasons. We're both reaching out for the atonement to help us in very different reasons and circumstances. But um, eventually my prayers had to, had to leave him alone and say, what do I need to do? Where is my faith? And how can I, what do I need to learn? How can I be better? How can I be more in tune with the Savior and know how to help myself as well as him. So my prayers really changed. They changed over the course of that period.
0: So honest, and I just appreciate you talking about this. This is a tender topic in our culture, and um, we don't, and I think what you're doing, bringing voice to this topic and helping parents and wonderful people that come home and the principles that you're sharing are very helpful. Talk about, um, did you look in the mirror and think he, your son came home because of you or what you didn't do or what you did do or didn't do enough? Because I sense sometimes moms in our church, when things don't work out, they th- they come back to the checkbox and they think, well, this is probably about me. Right. And something I missed or didn't do or even past mistakes at age nine, <laughs> we just yeah. self-reflect and overanalyze. And that can be a horrible pool that just takes us down. Did you do much of that? And-
1: I, I did a little bit, but I, I caught myself and I Good. knew, I knew what I was doing. It's natural to go back and say, I wish I had done more as a parent. I wish I had taught them better. I wish I had, you know, you, you can just second guess everything. And that's, that's just not helpful. I did what I could. I did what I knew. I did what I was able to do within my marriage, within my family structure. You do the best that you can with what you have.
0: Good. What were some of the answers to your prayers on how best to minister and love your son?
1: Um, you know, it was to just, it, this was so hard, right? Because I'm in grizzly bear mama mode. And, and I really felt um, prompted to just step back. And that's so hard because I can see that he's going through such a dark time and I can just see his countenance and I can see all of this happening right before my eyes. And I'm hearing answers to prayers that say, take a step back. And that seems so counterintuitive, but I know that what I was being asked to do was to not lecture, not, not interrogate, not question, just love him, just love him every day.
0: How do you do that? Because I think some people, I do that as a parent. I think I know in my mind that's what I'm supposed to do, but it's so hard to translate into my yeah. heart or into action. Yeah, How it do is. do you do that?
1: You know, I remember um, finding something every day that I could compliment him on and to just to, to look at his strengths. What are his strengths? What do I see? And, you know, help me, Heavenly Father, to have your eyes and to see him in a way that that I can just appreciate everything about him. And so I, I, I did that and I've.
0: What are some of his strengths?
1: Oh, his, he has got the most tender, beautiful heart. Really. He just sees the world in, in such a kind, compassionate way. And so I could see that. And and that was helpful every day to, to really talk to him about that and to let him know that I witnessed that. Um, He's smart and he's attractive and he's funny. He's social He's just really wonderful to have around. And so for me to be able to just step back and say, this is between you and the savior. And I'm going to do my own work over here with the savior. And I'm going to just trust that the atonement works for you just like it does for me.
0: That's really thoughtful, Heidi. I'm I've shared this story, our our elders corn president, Steve wife Julie had a brother that died by suicide it's a different situation Mm -hmm. obviously than yours and and that and and obviously Julie and everybody was you know grief stricken with this good man dying by suicide but Steve talked about wanting to help his wife and the personal revelation that came to him was quit trying to be her savior yeah she needs a husband right (laughs) you can't solve this you know, you have to do, and I sort of hear what he taught us in that, quorum, what you're doing with your son is mm-hmm. he has a savior and you're going to kind of leave that between him and his savior and he's loving yeah. heavenly parents. And, and that, that sometimes I help thinks that grisly parenting side of us, we can, mm-hmm. that framework can sometimes say, okay, I'm going to leave that at the savior's feet and I'm right. going to do the thing. I love the way these compliments you gave him. I hope, If you're ever listening to this podcast, Austin, that's pretty cool. Just the things your mom just said about you. That's wonderful. And Austin's married. Mm
1: -hmm. He's married with a baby and three fourths.
0: (laughs) So I would (laughs) guess- Number two
1: comes in September. Yeah, for him. I would
0: guess Austin, if your wife were on the podcast, she'd probably say the same things about you. These are the reasons she fell in love with you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And
0: it probably wasn't, you know, and I, I assume that you not serving a mission was not a reason was not a yellow or red flag for her cuz she saw past that checkbox and saw you.
1: Right. Right. We all have such different journeys, don't we? And I'm I'm learning that the older I get, you know, I'm I'm going to be 58 this summer and I think I'm so much wiser than I was when I was 48. I look forward to 68 when I'm even that much more in tune with sort of the gospel and what the Savior's plan is for each of us, but it's different, isn't it? Our paths are different and I see that. Now that it's not about boxes that need to be checked and it's not about perfectly wrapped, packaged pieces of the gospel. It's just about, it's about keeping the commandments and doing those things that we know we're supposed to do. But it's about looking beyond our agenda and looking forward and looking out. Who can I serve? How can I be a disciple today?
0: I love that. Talk about that phrase you just used, looking beyond our agenda.
1: Well, I think that we get so busy with our lists and I am number one with that because I'm a type A personality and and I work off of lists. If you saw my desk at home, I've got lists of things to keep myself on track. And those can be really great, right? Because they keep us organized and they keep us focused. But if we don't pull our head up off of our list and look beyond the list, we miss a lot of opportunities to love and to serve.
0: Give us an example of what's on your list or a list that sometimes keeps us from seeing the big picture.
1: Well, let's see. Something that could be on a list would just be um, items that need to get done that day. I need to spend this much time writing my third book. I need to spend this much time um you know, getting these getting these groceries done, I need, to, I need to go to the bank, I need to do these things. And what's missing from that list is, Heavenly Father, who needs some love today? How can I make a difference in somebody's life? You know, let me know that. And if my prayers are earnest about that, I always get a prompting about somebody, somebody in the grocery store, somebody, a name will just come into my mind and I'll, I've called friends before and said, why does Heavenly Father want me to call you today? I've been that bold before. and That's cool. And inevitably, you know, there are tears and it just turns out to be this, this amazing conversation that we have. But I guarantee you that was not on my list. It's never on my list. My list is, um, you know, physical in nature and it's more of to-dos to keep me organized and what's not on my list are all the promptings and the spiritual things that I really should be focused on. Not all day, because we have you know, we have to survive and do our work and accomplish some things. But
0: how long Austin didn't go back on his mission? No. How long until you were kind of at peace with that and that was just the new norm and everybody knew we were moving forward and how did you sort of navigate that? Especially this is for People, parents that just have children, just the outcomes that are different than what we originally planned.
1: Yeah. Um, I was tapping my fingers on the table. I'll tell you that, you know, for the first several months, like just get him back out, get him back out. And, um, I regret that. I regret that because that probably carried over to him. And I, you know, I would do it differently now. Now it would be Um, really wrapping my arms around him and letting him verbally know it's okay. Either way, you know, I'm, I'm proud of you no matter what happens here. And, and um, I just, I really didn't sit back and say, wait a minute, you know, the atonement is here for a reason. It's here for all of us and his path is different than mine. I'm 58 years old, right? He's 19 years old, and somehow I expect his gospel understanding and experiences and life lessons to be what I have in my head. And it's, it's not. He's not. He's not there, and it's not his anyway. So it's just stepping back and understanding. He's got his own path. I've got my own path. And we're going to learn very different things. And it's a good thing because we have different strengths and we have different weaknesses.
0: I love that. And sometimes I think the ability to step back is a sign of deep testimony of the plan of salvation and the role mm-hmm. of our heavenly parents with their children and the role of the Savior to heal and give hope. And I've, so sometimes when I hear someone like you talk, like you just talked, I And the ability to step back and just say, my job is to love. My job is to set a good example. My job is to create safety for my children so they know I love them. It's not like you're selling out the teachings of our church. You believe them so much, but it's like you really understand them and you see the big picture and you're able to, because you understand the big picture and have a testimony, be able to do what you do, which I think then is the very best thing. Right. Um. One of the things I've learned to try to do is not rank reasons people come home from missions. There's a logical, you know, I'm sure I go through this when I hear someone's coming home and I've, you know, and when we hear it's this reason or this, this reason or we don't know, I've just learned that we shouldn't rank reasons and we shouldn't probably wonder um, why someone comes home and our our reaction to them and our, I'm thinking of ward members, not necessarily family members, should be just the same and that you know, we just love them. Right. And it's maybe a priesthood leader, a close family member that maybe understands more of what's going on here, but that's not my job. Right. So really,
1: yeah. yeah if you think about, if you think about the, um, the, they've made a, they've made a commitment and a sacrifice to serve, whether it was a day or whether it was two years, but even that, you know, I, I don't even want to say that out loud too much because, um, I've, I feel compassionate for the for the boy or the girl that does not serve at all, that can't make that commitment at that time in their life. That's okay. That's their journey, and it's between them and their Heavenly Father, and that needs to be okay.
0: Go back to your spiritual gas tank that's pretty low. You know, you're coming out early morning seminary. You've been doing everything for the cause. You've got a tough family situation that was unplanned. How did you... Just be, and maybe, are are your spiritual and emotional gas tanks pretty full right now? They are. And walk our listeners through how you did that, because my gas tanks get low at times. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we think when we're, and when I was a singles word bishop was one of the times my gas tanks got the lowest emotionally, particularly, because it was just, Mm
1: -hmm. it was just
0: hard. And I, I think sometimes we just assume because someone's giving everything for the cause and seeing great blessings in other people's lives that they're okay, yeah. And sometimes they're not. And so, wh- what would you say to other people that say that are kind of in your space? You know, doing a lot for the cause, doing a lot of good, but having just having a hard time mm-hmm. staying emotionally and spiritually, physically full.
1: One of one of the huge things for me is what I call "find your space," and that what I mean by that is where do you go? to have a real conversation with Heavenly Father. Where do you go to do that? So for me personally, that is not kneeling by my bed at 1030 at night because that is a quick prayer and it's a prayer full of gratitude, but I guarantee you I'm not hearing anything back because my eyes are closed and I am out (laughs) quickly, right? So that is not, and really um, neither is my morning prayer before I roll out of bed. It is, it is taking some time at some point during the day. For me, it's outside of my house usually. So it's taking a walk, it's taking a hike, it's something where I get out and I just go and I talk with Heavenly Father and letting him know I am ready to receive. So there's no music playing in my earphones. Sometimes it's in the car with the radio off. And it's just having a real raw conversation with Heavenly Father and letting Him know how I feel, how I think I'm doing, what do I need to work on, who do I need to see, what can I say, how can I serve you better? And that just develops a connection that I feel like I'm not working so hard by myself. I'm partnered up. And that has made all the difference for me is to focus on that time in my space. And as a result of that, I feel I feel connected and I feel like I can reach out at any time and that uh, he'll be there. Now, that doesn't mean that every day I get this grandiose answer to something, right? That's that's not what I'm saying. But I'm putting myself out there and I'm letting Heavenly Father know this is my priority.
0: Would you say the the thing that you did the most to just, kind of recharge yourself was your relationship with Heavenly Father?
1: Yes, absolutely. It was just, it was communication like that. Deep, honest communication. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to cry. And Were you angry
0: at God sometimes?
1: Oh, absolutely. Did you tell him you were? Yes, I did. I told him. I think he can handle that. I think so too. I think
0: he probably, I love one of the things you said, Heidi, you said, I tell him how I feel. Yeah. And as a father of kids, it's exactly what I'd want. And if a kid were angry at me, I'd want to know that. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of healing. Right. And so I don't look at that as being unfaithful. I think anger is a logical secondary emotion to pain. Yes. And I think agency kicks in as how we deal with that anger over a period of time.
1: Yeah. I think it's fair. And I, and I understand, too, that I have tunnel vision. Right? I can only see what's in front of me and i know and i believe that heavenly father sees the past the present and the future and so i just have to trust that that he's going to he sees a, a something you know a direction out of where i'm at at that time in my life and so but i think it's fair to say this stinks and i really don't like this and i'm very unhappy and i'm doubting my testimony here but i'm hanging on because there are 99 things that I do believe in, and I'm not ready to abandon those 99 things because this is really shaken me up.
0: I really like that. Thank you for that. And I found a similar formula. I don't generally get a lot of personal revelation in my evening and morning prayer. hmm I, I always pray in the morning and at night like you do, and um, read a little bit of scripture, and then I go on a walk. I used to run, now I walk. Mm-hmm. And that's where God talks to me. And I feel like yeah. that morning prayer is just kind of starting the conversation. Right. And But then that experience outside. And I do listen to background music, mostly just songs from the 80s or Mormon Tabernacle Choir. And that seems not to distract me. Right, right. Um, but I would give permission for anybody to handle music the way, if it's distracting and you're focusing on the lyrics or the lyrics are pulling you away from the spirit. But I think the principle is what you're doing is you're wanting to have this relationship. I've always, one of the things I'm trying to clarify mine, and this is a little bit of a tangent is who do I have a personal relationship with? Is it heavenly father? Is it Christ? And sometimes we use such synonyms there that I think I've sometimes have been confused who and I, I, that's why I asked you, and so I love where you said, I pray to Heavenly Father, that's our doctrine, and we have Heavenly Parents up there that love us, and our Savior is like our elder brother, He, His atonement takes pain out of our lives, He's mm-hmm. lived a mortal life, so He's, but we don't necessarily pray to Him, He's not, we have, I I have a relationship with Jesus, I don't want to say I don't have a relation, I have a relationship with both, but it's different, I, mm-hmm. I think the primary relationship is with my heavenly Father. He is the He is my Father, right? And that's who I pray to, and that's who I talk to. And if I'm angry, that's why I love everything you just said about your relationship with Heavenly Father. And then I think the Savior knows how we feel. Yes, He's walked mortality. His Atonement takes not only sin-related pain out of our life, but all the pain that comes in our life that's not our fault. Mm-hmm. And you've felt that, like most of us, right?
1: Have. And I and I I have felt that. And and believe to know that the atonement gives us power that we are not able to do something on our own with that. And I've asked for that. I've asked for that specifically because it feels too big and too hard. And that comes from the the Savior. That's his atonement. It allows us to do something that's really impossible on our own.
0: So it's this perfect team mm-hmm. partnership to help right. us.
1: And then you pull in the Holy Ghost who just delivers the messages and the communication and keeps Agreed. you on the right track.
0: Beautiful. That's one of the things I love about the doctrine of our restored church is clear understanding about our Godhead and the role of each one mm-hmm. and the personal relationship we, we can have. Right. Talk more about the book or other things you learned or when you speak, you'd share with our listeners to give them hope. Hope is about my favorite word.
1: Oh, me too. In
0: the gospel. Um, that's something as I would meet with people and the purpose of this podcast is really just to bring more hope and that we're going to be okay and live for another day. We talk about suicide quite a bit on this podcast mm-hmm. and giving people, someone said in a suicide podcast for me, there is no light at the end of the tunnel. That's the problem. Yeah. And so, and I thought that was pretty insightful comment. Mm -hmm. Um, so just more thoughts on giving on having hope in the struggle. I think, um, and the way we grow in the struggle.
1: Yeah. I think utter hopelessness is suicide, right? When there's absolutely zero hope, that's when that thought of suicide hits people. And, um, that's a sad thing. I, I don't, Hope is not something that's uh, definitely an answer or a removal of a trial. Hope is uh, an expectation of promised blessings in the future. And when I talk, I talk a lot about patience in His timing, not meaning your spouse's timing or your son or your friend's timing. His meaning, Heavenly Father's timing, and that that's that can be really difficult. But we need to we need to trust that the timing is right. And that can be really difficult with depression and anxiety and some of these other issues that, that attack us, um, to wait that out because that doesn't feel fair, um, particularly when our, our prayer is, is of a righteous desire. And so I, we feel like it should be immediate. But there are, um, there are lessons I'm convinced that we need to learn. We grow... Um, After we've come out of the mud, you know, that you don't don't grow from sitting on the porch swing, sipping lemonade, and looking out at God's beautiful earth. That is a beautiful moment, and that's a, a prayer of gratitude in your heart, and I have felt that and I appreciate that, but I don't grow from that. I grow from the mud puddle when I'm rolling around in it and I finally stand up and wipe my face off. Guess what? I have a new gift that I can use to share with others and to make a difference in the lives of others. And we all are like that. We want Disneyland and we want the porch swing. And it's okay to have a few moments of that. And I think Heavenly Father is happy that we enjoy some of those things. But that's not the purpose that we're here for.
0: I love the imagery of the mud. The mud is messy and it gets on you, Mm -hmm. but I love the growth. And I think we all know this in our minds that we come to mortality to grow and we have to go through hard things, but it is certainly true.
1: It's so true.
0: And I think we have to look at the hard things and not think, well, did I do something wrong to cause the hard things? But just look at this as this is part of my mortal experience and how can I learn and grow and not measure my hard things to compare to somebody else's. Right. Um, And because I think that's hard too. And some people, I think, get a lot more mud and other people's families have less.
1: Yes, it appears that way. It
0: appears, good point, Heidi. and, (laughs) And some mud is more obvious. Right. And some mud is not obvious. And some, you know... I think local priest leaders are often saying, you know, if you only knew, sort of, only knew what I knew, I was going behind every door of every home in our ward. You would realize that everybody's got stuff going on. Sure. And so I think then you have to think, what am I going to say to give other people's hope and not add to someone's burden? Mm -hmm. More thoughts on your book, or do you want to talk about your next book, or just anything else you want to share along these lines?
1: Um, I, I was just thinking when you were talking, I was thinking one of the questions that we need to change in our thoughts is when you know when you're in the mud puddle is you're tempted to say why me and we can even you know ask heavenly father that why why me and really what we should be saying is what now all right and i've said that i've said that to heavenly father all right you know here i am again what do you want me to learn help me help me see with my eyes and my ears and my heart help me know what i am to learn
0: Will you just say that again, that one question again?
1: Don't ask why me, ask what now. See, there's a real different result from those things. And it's the lesson. It's all about the lesson. And I think sometimes we get ourselves into situations. I think sometimes um, maybe we're supposed to have that event happen in our life. It's, It's on purpose. I don't know that all of that. I don't have the big web design that Heavenly Father does. All I know is how we respond to those is really important to us and, and that we'll carry forward with new gifts and make differences in other people's lives that, we never, that was never on our radar before.
0: I love that. And I'm thinking of lots, I'm thinking of our LGBTQ brothers and sisters that would logically ask, why me? Yeah. <laughs> why can't I fit in? Why um, I don't have a sexual orientation that's the same as the norm and makes my path harder. And that's a logical question to ask. And some will ask that and get answers that are comforting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wouldn't say that you shouldn't ask that question. But I think to your point, it probably needs to be a question at some point that transitions into what now? Yes. Because that's probably more controllable. Um, I think of Ben Shalotti if I'm quoting him right, he a gay LDS, a man active in the church. He would ask, often ask for his, you know, use the atonement to have his orientation change. And finally he felt impressed. No, that's not the right question.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, use the atonement to heal my heart, which is pretty broken fe- being a gay Latter-day Saint and just not feeling like he belonged and, right. and had a path. And once he used... Um, and started to ask that question and had the atonement heal his heart, then he was able to move forward in a thoughtful way. So I share that just like you do to bring sort of examples if our listeners are kind of saying, you know, what can I do to do what Heidi just said? What now? Um, that de- there's so many, we could just spend so much time after, cur- I call them curveballs. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a surprise death of a spouse, a job disappointment, a lost job. I think you write about that in your book. Um, an unfaithful spouse, we did a podcast of a woman whose husband, you know, had a long-term addiction with pornography. Mm-hmm. That's not what she really signed up for when she took walked in the temple with this fellow and a good fellow. And she, you know, just talks about that road. So I just think, you know, part of mortality is these curveballs. And I love your question of what now? Mm-hmm. What Christ-like attributes have you developed because of the curveballs that have come your way? That's I, <laughs> that's you know, making, I, I know that's a question, I know it's true, but you may not, you know, and I don't want to feel like you've got all, set, I'm not asking a question to make you feel like you've got now every Christ-like attribute in the book and it's perfect, but I'm sure you've grown. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, certainly. Um the gospel is not about the pretty packages; it's about what's inside the package. And um, I have a I have such a better appreciation for everyone's unique struggle, and it really doesn't matter what it is. And when you look back at you know studying the New Testament this year, looking back at Christ and his discipleship and the beautiful way that he ministered to everybody that that's really the example that we need to follow and, you know, get off the list and get out there and just love everyone. No judgment. We are not, we are not anybody's judge and we are not anybody's savior.
0: What would you say to someone that feels like I can't love this person because their behavior is obviously outside the doctrine of our church and I don't want to condone what they're doing. So I'm worried about loving someone whose behavior is not, not consistent with our church
1: Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that you need to let them into your sort of inner tight circle but you can still and i've done this you can still pray to love someone with heavenly father's eyes help me see with your eyes heavenly father so that i can love this person who has caused such hurt and damage to my family Help wow. me to, help me to do that. And I can testify that that helped me.
0: Help me see with your eyes instead mm-hmm. of my eyes, this right. person. Right. And then you see that person potentially differently mm-hmm. and it heals your heart. A it little does bit.
1: heal. It really does heal. It's,
0: That's really cool. Yeah. That's really cool. And Heavenly Father's eyes also see the totality of the situation. Heavenly Father's eyes see that person in a mortal life, knows that person's worth, knows mm-hmm. that person's potential, knows that person's weaknesses, sees the end from the beginning, knows the totality of the situation and hopefully how things will be resolved in a positive way. That's really helpful.
1: Yeah. We're all here, you we know, we're all here with weaknesses that are just different from each other and. Strengths and that are different, and sins that are different, and I think we're going to all go back and high five each other and say, "Wow, was that hard, (laughs) you know?" But hey, we did it, we did it, and I hope that I can wrap my arms around every everyone here here on earth so that I can high five them, you know, in the future and in another life.
0: uh, Talk about adult children that step away from the church. I think you have a. a a member of your family that stepped away from the church and how you manage that.
1: Yeah, that. Um, what did you call that? A curveball. That's a big one.
0: <laughs> it's a big curveball.
1: That's a big curveball. Yeah, I. Um, she's she's an amazing person. My my daughter left the church a few years ago uh, with her husband and three kids, and so. That's really hard. That's kind of a, a really hard a knife twister in my heart. Um, but ultimately, I've been able to step back and say, but I want Were her to be happy. Were in the church,
0: married in the temple? Yeah,
1: married in the temple, active in the church. And, um, you know, read some things and just said, the whole thing is not true. And so, so the whole family has stepped away. And um, so I had to take the stand of, you know, okay, where is my part in this? And fortunately, we have this sort of beautiful relationship where they respect me. They know what I do. I'm writing, I'm out there speaking, you know, and I'm testifying all over the place. They know how I, how passionate I am about my message. And so they respect that about me. I can talk about it with them. If they, they'll ask me questions and I can sort of say something without going into a full blown sermon, which I, I don't do that. At the same time, I respect the way that they want to live their life now as well. Does that hurt a little bit? Yes. To be honest, it does sometimes. But I'm really at peace with their decision. It's their agency, right? They're on a different path than I would choose for myself today. And so I just sort of watch that and I pray for them just like I do all of my children and my grandchildren. And I just love them and I just pray. Pray for them, and I just hope that um, that they're happy and that they learn what they need to learn here in this mortal experience.
0: How do you worry? I know you worry about your grandkids that may not be taught the things that you taught your kids growing up. How do you yeah. manage that? Same set of principles. Yeah,
1: or? yeah. You just, I just love those those little kids, and sometimes they come over. I tell this story sometimes when I. Um, I'll tell you this story. That's just funny. Uh, the kids were over to, to spend the night, and mom and dad were out, so we we kept them at our home, the three kids. And so they see us pray, right? They see us pray at, over dinner, and and they know that. And and the oldest boy, who's now eight, I think, he uh, went to one year of primary before they left, and uh, so he he knows about prayer. So when I tucked him into bed, he said he said, "Grandma, are we gonna say prayers?" and i thought oh that's so fabulous you know he still like understands that so i said sure tucker you can say a prayer so he folded his arms and said a little prayer that was very simple and i helped him with that and then his little at the at that time four-year-old sister said grandma i can tell i can say a prayer all by myself and i said really you know and i'm thinking this is wonderful So we bow our heads and we fold our arms and she starts and she says, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and goes through the whole pledge, right? Looks up at me with this proud face. And I said, that was the most beautiful patriotic prayer I've ever heard.
0: What a great answer, Heidi.
1: And so I went upstairs and I, I said to my husband, you will never believe what just happened. And I told him and we laughed and we laughed and then we cried Because we knew what that meant. That little girl hasn't been to primary. But you know what? That's okay. She is going to learn a a different way. She's on a different path, and that's okay. I know that Heavenly Father is aware of all of His children, and I trust that they are in His hands.
0: I love that Heidi and I. As I sit in my own elders' quorum, and my wife and I don't have any children that have stepped away, we have all six that are active in the church. But as I, and I realize that could change, <laughs> um, I sit in elders' quorum, and sometimes the elders that were the higher, you know, the men in their 60s and 70s that just have more children on the adult children road, and more time. You know, I think most of them have an adult child that stepped away. And mm-hmm. it's, and it's, it, there's a lot of grief around that. We don't talk about it too much. And I've worried, I, I just get this impression over and over again that heavenly father to you right now, to the men in my elders, quorum to our listeners, you active LDS parents that aren't perfect. He didn't expect you to be perfect. He would just wrap his arms around you with big tears in his eyes to mm-hmm. you just doing what I hoped you'd do to raise these kids. And he'd, I think he'd be uncomfortable with the amount of pain that Mormon parents are feeling about their kids that have left. And I think he'd want to take that pain away and mm-hmm. replace it with hope. And so yeah, I love the way you grieve, you worry. It's out of your control, mostly. And so then I think Heavenly Father would just say, hey, you've got to let me take care of this. Yeah. You've got to trust me. These are my children, too. It's a long mortality is just part of this three act play. There's a lot of time after mortality. I think I've shared this with our listeners. The church doesn't have an official position. Can you even move between kingdoms in the next life? Some of our leaders have said you can, some you can't, but the official church position is we have no position. Mm -hmm. Now that's not an eat, drink and be merry philosophy because we can move between kingdoms in the next life. But I think it's Helpful for LDS parents to look at their kids, and some of these kids are great kids that have stepped away, doing great things in their life and being wonderful parents, and say, the core of my kid is actually a really good human. Yeah. And so I have to think that um, that will continue to help them grow grow and progress in this life and the next life. Yeah.
1: I think there's a difference, and this is why it's hard as mom and dad. We micromanage our children when they're young. Mm -hmm. And then when they step into that adult world, We have to step back and not micromanage anymore. We need to turn the micromanaging over to the Savior and to turn that over to Heavenly Father. And that's hard because we're, you know, for 18, 20 years, we micromanage those kids. That's hard. That is hard. Yeah.
0: And I, uh, yeah, that is hard. Mm -hmm. Any, what would you say to someone who's saying, I've got to change the way I manage my kids? And I agree with you, Heidi, but I don't, I I fall back into me as an eight raising an eight year old kid all the time. How, yeah. What would you say to a parent?
1: This is what I would say, and I can I know it's right on the tip of my tongue because this is what I say to myself all the time. I say, I am who I am because of the lessons I've learned. And what we want to do as parents is we kind of want to micromanage so that the the result be- becomes almost our result within them. So we need to step back and let them learn the lesson because they're so valuable in their lives later on. They become who they are because of the lessons that they learn. If we try to control every single thing that happens in their life, it's not their life, it's not their lessons. We need to, we need to let them struggle.
0: I love that. So then you have a bigger picture philosophy that allows you to pull back. Mm-hmm. Versus it's a day by versus sort of thing, this, this battle is going to be won or lost in this moment or in this day. You're sort of saying this is a big picture. So it gives you a framework to step back.
1: Right. It's really, it really boils down to trust.
0: Trust in you. Trust trust in in Heavenly Heavenly Father. Father.
1: It really, it really boils back into, into trust, step back and trust and say, "I, I trust that you know who my children are, and that you know who I am, that you hear the desires of my heart. And I don't know how that's going to happen. But here you go. And I'm going to take care of my own testimony. And I'm going to do my best to make a difference in the world and to be valiant. And I trust that you will help my children do the same in your timing.
0: I love that. I'm remembering... I used to sometimes draw for the YSAs three circles all within each other, and the inner circle was the things that we could control directly. Mm -hmm. And the next circle would be the things we can influence, and the outer circle would be things we have no influence over. And then, because the YSAs sometimes, like me, are pretty stressed out and have a lot of anxiety, and some of the things they were stressed out about and have anxiety about were things in that second or third circle. And once we kind of put them there and realized like even world events, if you watch see if you watch cable news enough, you're gonna get stressed out, right no matter which side you're watching because it's yeah. just so much and mm-hmm. so a lot of those things are still in that outer circle, so and our kids to some extent move from that very core inner circle as young kids, I think we can control pretty much everything right. <laughs> we can't control if they're gonna sleep Most through the things, night or if they're yeah. gonna cry, but and then they move to that next circle and then not sure kids ever move to the outer circle because I think, um, our ability to prayer and love, and even though it may not, you know, still has influence. Right. And so maybe they never move because of our temple covenants for those who have been seals in the com- temple. I think the power of the reach and, be- mm-hmm. you know, has an ability to influence. Right. But our ability to maybe control specific behavior is we just leave that at heavenly fault with heavenly father. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to ask, did you when you've had some, you know, you've had a daughter leave the church or a son come home from your mission early, did you feel your congregation? because um, I think some people in a Mormon congregation then feel judged, not intentionally, but they just feel like they don't measure up to the other women that may not have had a kid leave the church or a son not go on a mission or come home early and Sometimes that coming to church experience can be triggering because Mm -hmm. they feel they just don't measure up to sister so-and-so who's got everybody on the covenant path. Right. And she gets in a testimony and talks about her, I don't want to be critical to any of you that are on this road that have seven children married in the temple and 32 grandchildren are all active in the church and (laughs) no empty chairs. And then you sit there and think, that's not me. Yeah. So I feel really bad now.
1: Right. You know, there were some really great members of my ward that directly approached Austin the first Sunday back. You know, it's one of those things that when you see a missionary show up at church and it hasn't been two years, you, you second guess yourself. You're like, wait a minute.
0: Wait that, a second. <laughs> wait a second.
1: Did that two years just fly by or what? And then you start to, you back up and go, wait a minute. It hasn't been two years, you know? And so the, the people that just directly approached him and gave him a hug, good to see you. Good to see you, Austin. Hey, do you want to go golfing? Let's go golfing. You know, that was so amazing. And I stood back as a parent and watched that. And it's now, um, you know, my hope that I'm more like that. So when I see someone come in that maybe hasn't been there for a long time, and I think, where have they been? I go straight up to them. I race to them, you know, at the end of church. And where have you been? I've missed you. What's going on? And I just feel like I'm a lot more direct as a result of having seen it in my own family and, and wishing that maybe some members would have stepped up a little bit. Not, and that's uncomfortable. You think you're going to say the wrong thing, but you never say the wrong thing if you just wrap your arms around them and say hey, I noticed you today, you know, love you and good to see you. That's all you have to say. Good to see you. Pat on the back. And so I hope that forever I will be more like that, and I will seek those people out that feel like they don't fit the mold. I think that as a church in general, if you think of it as a big cruise ship, you know, it takes a while for that cruise ship to make the turn. I feel like we're starting to make the turn and we're becoming much more open-armed, and our hearts are open, and we're sort of saying, hey, there's room here for everybody. And there is no mold here. We just want everybody to be in our congregation who wants to love the Savior and to be more like him. And thanks to podcasts like yours and, and so many others, you know, I think the cruise ship has started to turn, and it's going to take a while. But really, I feel like at, with the new ministering program, right? Less boxes to check. It's all coming together. And I step back and say, wow, this is really living a Christ-like life. That's what we're trying to do, is to live like Christ did when he was here. He loved everybody. He loved his enemies. You know, he was he was scourged and he was offended and he was betrayed. And there were times that he stayed silent when he could have lashed out. And there were times that he ministered. And I think that's the goal for each one of us.
0: I really like that. I, in fact, our stake president at the stick conference talked about there's not one mold. And we mm-hmm. need to create space for differences, and that's a good thing. Sometimes differences are are scary for us, and we, we sometimes want to associate with the organization where everybody feels like we do, and says the same things we do. And and that's sometimes, I think, a sense of community. But I think we're maturing, or as your example, the the ship is turning a little bit. We're recognizing this is part of just the next chapter in our church's growth is to create um, a feeling where people that want to come unto Christ and feel community are welcome. And there's not a mold, and there's not— I love Elder Uchtdorf's talk where he talks about there's no— you know, measure of the height of your testimony to walk in the congregation. Yeah, yeah. That's not exactly his words, mm-hmm. but I I think about that comment a lot. Yeah. And it's really true, but sometimes we do want a belief hurdle um, before we fully accept somebody. And I've always felt like the temple is where the gate narrows. There's a belief and behavior hurdle mm-hmm. to go to the temple. But at the congregation level, just like Christ taught and you te- you're teaching there, you know there really isn't and that's how i've always felt how to get more people to the temple is to create a feeling in the congregation that you're welcome wherever you are wherever come you, as are. you are
1: exactly and and if there are parts of the church that you don't agree with or that you're really struggling with that's okay what about the parts that you do you know come yeah. come come join us come join us and take what you can from it and walk out strengthened ready to sort of attack your week. Because don't we need that vitamin pill of the gospel every single Sunday? I do.
0: I do too. Tell us about your next book.
1: My next book um, is about an incredible woman who suffers from dissociative identity disorder. Do you know what that is? No. That is the new fancy way of saying multiple personalities. Okay. okay? So she has got went through um, incredible... Terrible, tragic abuse, Um, satanic rituals, child abuse from parents and, um, and drug abuse as a very, very young child. And it's her amazing ability to cling to the gospel and to Christ in the midst of all of this fractured reality that she suffers with every single day. And it's fascinating, and the reader will understand what it's like to live in that body of multiple personalities, as well as understand that um, and be inspired by her ability to reach through all of that distraction and just look for the Savior every single day. It's It's just amazing. It's been such a privilege to get to know her.
0: How did you get to know her?
1: she read my two books and she reached out to me through a common friend. And, um, I had a friend that called me and said, could you just have a conversation with this woman? She's been through a lot in her life. And so I said, sure. I'd be happy to do that. So I called I bet you and... have a
0: lot of those conversations. <laughs>
1: I have a few and I just, uh, I just introduced myself and, and said, you know, I, I heard that you loved my books and she she told me how much they meant to her. And she, uh, said you know I have a story but I don't know that you'd ever want to write that and she started talking and um an hour later I hung up the phone and and just started crying and said oh my gosh Heavenly Father are you asking me to write write this story I felt so unprepared and intimidated by the whole concept of it right because it's such a difficult subject but um that's how I came to write her story, and eventually I said, I want to come and meet you in person, and I spent several more hours with her, and at the end of that, I said, we were put together, and we were, we were supposed to write this together. So it's been an amazing year to, to understand her and interview her family and learn more about this.
0: Here's a picture in the book of Servi on her baptism day. How long ago did she join the church?
1: So this is, so you're talking about my second book. Yeah. And I was just talking about my third, oh. that, I, that I'm halfway through.
0: Okay. Yeah. So yeah. I, that's why you said. So that's two, coming. That's coming That's this why next you were year. talking about the person who read your prior two books. Yes. That makes sense.
1: Yes. Servi's song is this um, beautiful woman from Zimbabwe who leaves Zimbabwe to rescue her children from poverty so that she can make more money coming to the United States and send it back to her children who are being cared for by family than she could ever have done in Zimbabwe because she's a widow and she has no way to feed and educate her children. And she knows that the exit door out of poverty in Zimbabwe is education. And to provide that, you've got to have money and food. So it's her escape to the United States to find a job, send money back for the care of her children. And in the process, she encounters more tragedy. And you just go through her life with her. And then ultimately, she finds the gospel. And it's such a beautiful, amazing story. And she, she has faith and courage like like almost nobody I know.
0: And where does Servi live?
1: She now lives in Arizona.
0: So that's a... You know, our, I love stories like this where the gospel comes into someone's life, like Servi and mm-hmm. her sacrifice and as a mother doing everything she can to open the door of education because I believe that is the great door and I pr- love programs that give people more opportunity for education. Mm-hmm. So I now I understand the third book is this woman you're talking about right. that read these prior two books. Yeah. So... Just any closing thoughts, as we're kind of coming to a close, Heidi, you'd like to share with our listeners?
1: Probably just that. um, you know, Each of us, based on where we've been and the lessons that we've learned and the struggles we've gone through, the mountains we've climbed in our lives, it's putting you on a path somewhere. And I can use myself as an example of, I never dreamed I'd be writing these books. And at the end of each one, I say to Heavenly Father... Okay, I did it. No more. <laughs> that was the hardest thing I've ever done. Don't ask me to do that ever again. And then the, the next one lands in my lap, and it becomes very clear to me that that is what I'm supposed to do. So really, I would, I would say to everyone, you have gifts within yourself that you don't even realize, but Heavenly Father does. And He'll take you there, and He'll help you find a way to make a difference in people's lives using what's inside of you.
0: I love that. I'm thinking back on the part of the podcast you shared about the flight between Phoenix and Salt Lake City mm-hmm. and that dream you had and and you didn't tell anybody because it's right. kind of scary. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's a sign of weaknesses. I think it's a sign of you recognizing that dream was from God. Yeah and i have a responsibility to do something i have no idea to do right and then i think it's logical for us to look inward and say of all the reasons why i can't become an author um and i just love that story heidi because you became an author and i think that gives courage to other people that may say well i could never do that or that's some who is that you know who am i to think i could do that mm-hmm. but I love the way Heavenly Father has a plan for each of us, and, and He gives us um, subtle reminders or subtle insights. Um, I felt impressed about, you know, sitting on a beach in California to write a book about our LGBTQ brothers and sisters and bring voice to them, and and that's not something I know how to do either. And I'm mm-hmm. and moving, I didn't do much with that for a while until a publisher reached out and Now I'm working on that book, but I look at your finished books and I think, can I do what Heidi did? And I think, you know, that since God wants me to do this, I probably can. Right. And you hope then to bring the right tone and the right voice to the people you're writing about. And I think sharing our own stories like you've done in this first book is particularly helpful. But then you're bringing voice to, I'm going to mispronounce her name, Mm Mm-hmm. And that's more about your ability as an author and knowing how that works to bring voice that helps us. And now with this other book you're writing, and I think that's part of helping all of us grow. So I love that. And I love the vision that that creates. And I invite our listeners, if you're getting impressions to do hard things, you know, you maybe you can. Mm -hmm. And the older I get, I never thought I could be a medical doctor. (laughs) I just thought that was a different group of people when I was going through college. And then I look at them 58 and I look at some of the people who are medical doctors and they're great, but they're really no different than me. They just sort of believed in themselves. Right. They didn't really have better skills necessarily. I've always looked now at, at ability versus motivation, and I've always felt like motivation is the tiebreaker skill I look for in employees in particular. And so motivation has helped when you have a God-given mandate to write a book. Yeah. <laughs> and so you could have said, well, I don't have the ability, but you, uh, you had the motivation and the God-given mandate, and then— You had enough ability, especially with God's help, to accomplish things. So for those of you who are listening, wondering if you lack, you know, we all lack. Right. But, and we're all not perfect, so we don't need to have a God-given mandate just once we're perfect. He will work through all of us as imperfect people to accomplish what He needs to be accomplished. So don't think Heidi's perfect, as she got that mandate on Mm -hmm. the flight. Um, but I do think sometimes you work through us when we're wounded and when we're going through hard times. Right. Our listeners know this quote that I share a lot. It's a minister's service will not be perceived as authentic unless it comes from the heart wounded by the suffering about which he speaks. The great illusion of leadership is to think others can be led out of the desert by someone who's never been there. And that's why, you know, I'm, I love your story because you are the wounded healer because of what you've gone through in mm-hmm. your own family. And you can talk authentically about how to lead people out of the desert because you've been in the desert and you talk about it. and You didn't do anything wrong to get stuck in the desert. And you have wonderful family around you that are trying to do their best. But sometimes we just land ourselves in a desert. Yeah. And then as you share the things you're sharing about how you got out of the desert, you're doing what I think God wants you to do with speaking and writing It leads people out of their desert and it gives them the word hope. Yeah. And you authentically know how to do that. Any thoughts on any of that before we close?
1: Just that, um, you know, that was the real motivation. People say to me, how in the world did you ever write a book? That's so hard. You know, And the short answer is God asked me to. That's really how I finished because I knew in my heart and soul, I knew that that's where it came from. And so if you feel that, you know, for those of you listeners, if you feel that, if you feel something deep down in your heart and soul that was a prompting, that feels too hard, ask for the power of the atonement to help you do that. And I promise you, you can do what Heavenly Father has asked you to do.
0: Tell our listeners where they can find your books, or if someone's listening, say, I'd really love to have I.D. Tucker come speak at a fireside or a... Yeah. How would people contact you?
1: Uh, you can contact me through my website, which is sunflower.com. If you Google Heidi Tucker, it'll come right up as well. Um, but The Pickled Sunflower is my website. My books are available um, on Amazon. They're available at Deseret Book and Siegel Book. Sometimes they're out of stock, not on the shelves, though, so you'd have to call first. But, um, and you can order them directly through my website, and you can contact me there. If you'd like me to come speak, you can contact me. It's always a privilege to share my testimony and my message. So I enjoy doing that. I enjoy getting out and meeting people and really connecting with others through vulnerability.
0: Vulnerability. And that's where it all started with you is being willing to be vulnerable. Yeah. And talk about hard things. Yeah. And I, a woman, in, you know, I just think that's a sign of strength. I didn't know what how to handle vulnerability when I heard it from other people for a while. Mm-hmm. But now I just think it's a great sign it's of strength. Like, yeah.
1: Originally we thought, why would you want to share your stuff, right? Yeah. Don't share your stuff. Well,
0: uh, yeah. there's a
1: way that you can share it. Yeah.
0: It's, and it's an incredible sign of strength. And then people talk to you Yeah. because they know you're real mm-hmm. and... And if you're and I think that then allows you to help other people versus somebody who's just got this kind of exterior, all the checklists, everything's great. Yeah. Which we want and that's a good thing. But I think if we're real and authentic and vulnerable, then people go, I can talk to him or her yeah. about my stuff. Right. And then we can truly minister better. Yeah. Let's so, do
1: this together. Let's, yeah. do, this let's together. do this together. Let's do this
0: together. So thank you, Heidi Tucker, for you're in towns in Utah from Arizona and just so glad that you've been on an episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. I've been lifted. We're doing this podcast before noon. It's kind of fun to do this earlier in the day. Mm-hmm. And I hope people go to Heidi's website, thepickledsunflower.com, and know how to reach her and read her books. And thank you for all the good work you're doing, Heidi. And I'm glad you had that dream on the plane. Thank you. And Uh, you acted on that dream. uh, uh, And thanks, our listeners, for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.